Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am super glad you're joining me on this episode, and I want to say to you and your family and your loved ones, Merry Christmas. It is crazy to me that we're already deep into the middle of the Christmas season, and and my family and I have already been enjoying some of the, the Christmas festivities and look forward to more over the next couple weeks. And so wherever you're at, and whatever your family traditions are, whatever your culture's traditions are, may you have a blessed and wonderful Christmas season. Uh, I pray that it is full of life and joy and grace and peace from Jesus himself. And before we jump into the content on today's episode, I just want to say a special thanks to all of you who have <clears throat> generously donated to make this ministry possible the Bible in Life, along with the other things that kind of are a part of it, the listener's commentary and a number of the other things that I do are made possible by the generosity of so many of you who have given this year. So thanks a ton. Uh, we have seen incredible growth in the ministry this year. The commentary started the year being downloaded, less than a thousand downloads a month. The commentary now has over 7,000 downloads a month on average. The weekly podcast, The Bible and Life, has doubled in downloads uh, each month, and that's super encouraging. Uh, we're seeing more and more countries uh, pushing close to 50 different countries that are using the resources, listening to the podcast, using the commentary, or on the email list, and some of that sort of things. And so, all of that's made possible because people believe in the vision of this ministry and have donated to it. So I just want to say a huge thank you to you. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your generosity. We've got some really exciting things that I hope to be able to unveil next year. I want to add a new course to the online courses, actually a couple new courses. Um, I, I want to add some beyond the audio resources, tons of beyond the audio resources to the listeners' commentary. So I've got a lot of plans and work. It all takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and it takes uh, money. It takes finances. And so if you have benefited in any way from this ministry, would you prayerfully consider giving maybe just a one-time year-end gift to set us up for success as we uh, look to the next year? Or would you consider even more a, a monthly donation? Just uh, sign up, click the make it a monthly donation box and make it monthly and support this ministry so that we can continue to grow and expand and offer more and more down-to-earth Bible teaching resources to help people grow in their faith. So thanks to those of you who already give. Thanks to the, those of you who... Uh, uh, decide to join the team of, of supporters and generously give as well. May God bless you for it. All right, over the next couple of weeks, I just want to offer just a few reflections on passages that uh, in some way are related to the theme of Christmas, particularly to the theme of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And just offer some reflections because I think these texts really offer not only some insight, some things for us to think about, but they offer some hopefully encouraging reminders of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, who Jesus is, what it means for him to enter into our world both then and now, and the kind of person that Jesus is. And so today, I want to uh, just offer a reflection on Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, a passage out of there. Uh, and to set this up, I a number of years ago, the college where I, uh, I taught full-time for a long time, still occasionally teach class, um, 
we were in transition and we needed a new chapel facility. And so at the time we were just doing chapel in the gymnasium and it was an old gymnasium. It was, it was big. We were sitting on old, cold metal folding chairs. Uh, they ran a wire across the back that they would put black curtains up to at least, you know, kind of block it off a little bit. There was a stage in the gym, but it was old and beat up with tattered carpet. And, um, the floor was in rough shape. I mean, things hadn't been cleaned up. It, it was just, in so many regards, so incredibly ordinary. And I sat there one day in chapels. We're singing these songs. We're praying. We're worshiping the Lord. I'm looking around at all of this, and I'm seeing how just ordinary, just literally so incredibly ordinary everything was. And, and it just struck me how perfect it was. That it, it wasn't fancy, it wasn't all polished up, it wasn't all beautified. It was just a gym that was well used and well worn, now being used also as a chapel. And it was ordinary and it was perfect. And the reason it was perfect in its ordinariness is because what I think the Christmas story, the incarnation of Jesus reminds us is that it's into the ordinary world that Jesus comes. It's into the ordinary world that Jesus wants to interact, that Jesus himself was an ordinary person in so many ways, and yet obviously he was more than that, but in so many ways he was ordinary. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 emphasizes this. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, in the context of Hebrews, he's actually commenting on an Old Testament passage. That's the reason for children. It means the children of God, the people of God. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partake the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And what I want to note at first, just from that little section, is this idea of taking on flesh and blood. It was necessary. Like, since the children share in flesh and blood, since humans, the people of God, the people that God wanted to rescue, are flesh and blood, he needed to share in that. He needed to take on flesh and blood as well. He, he likewise also partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood as well. And he did so specifically so that he could die. So that through death, he actually might defeat the devil and set people free from their slavery to fear of death and all the other kinds of slavery it, it brought. And so his taking on flesh and blood was necessary to setting people free from the power of the devil and from the, the power of death. The text goes on in verse 17 and says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Notice that. It wasn't an option. It wasn't like, well, you know, that's one way to do it. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. Notice that. All things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is an offering that deals with sin and atonement and the just repayment of God for those sins that Jesus' death deals with that. It provides 
a, a, an appropriate offering to deal with God's wrath and punishment on sins. And so Jesus had to become like them in all things so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest to deal with sins and all of that. Notice the way that phrase words, that he had to be make, made like his brethren. That is, in his immediate context, most precisely, that is, like his fellow Jews living in Galilee in the first century AD, uh, living in small agricultural villages uh, with homes made up of mud and clay bricks or made hewn out of the rock, right, with uh, mud and stick uh, roofs, you know, that dripped muddy water in the rainy season and got dusty and dry in the dry season, right? Like he had to be made like his fellow Jews living in Galilee in the first century AD uh, and live that kind of life where uh, you went and drew water from the well and you learned the family trade and all that went with it. And Jesus himself specifically grew up in the small Galilean town of Nazareth, set up on a hillside, right, overlooking the valley where a lot of major Old Testament events had happened. He grew up in this, this town that seems maybe even intentionally to be a little bit withdrawn from the rest of the surrounding area because they wanted to be super conservative, faithful Jews. That's where he grew up, and he had to be made like his brethren, uh, living and growing up in a faithful Jewish home. Uh, weekly keeping the Sabbath and the other Jewish holy days on the ritual calendar, just like his brothers. Um, he grew up in a, as best as we can tell, a fairly poor home under foreign occupation where you have the constant threat of, of Roman military might uh, with the tension of being in the world, but not of it, struggling to be faithful to his God, just like his brethren, like he had to be made like them. And notice that the text says he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Like not in most things, not in a lot of ways. He had to be made like his fellow Jews, his fellow humans in every way, in all things, fully human, in every way conceivable. He was a hundred percent human being. Uh, it's true. His conception was miraculous, but his birth was not. Um, he, he grew in a womb, just like every other ordinary baby. He grew with an umbilical cord, marking his contingency, his dependence on another human being for life. He was pushed down the birth canal by powerful contractions at the appropriate time, just as any other human baby would have been. Um, after he was born, he had to learn how to nurse. He wet his diaper. He cried. <laughs> he cried. This is actually where the Christmas carol gets it wrong, right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What? No crying he makes? No, no. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. What do babies do when they get woken up in the middle of the night? They cry. Little Lord Jesus would have cried like every other human baby because that's what babies do. He grew and developed and learned how to walk and talk. Think about that. Um, 
sometime in that first year of little Yeshua's life, looking up at Joseph and Mary and taking his first unsteady steps like every other human being. Here it is, the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and yet at the same time, 100% like his brethren in all things, learning to walk. Um, looking up at maybe Joseph at some point and saying, Abba, learning to say his first words. Uh, little Messiah, uh, walking and toddling around the house like every other little toddler. Um, toddler Jesus, running and laughing. Toddler Jesus, falling and skinning his knee on the stone pavement and then running to Mary crying because it really did hurt. He really had knees with nerve endings and skinning your knees hurt. And so he runs to Mary crying, made like us in every way. It's hard to wrap our head around it, but Jesus is infinity squeezed into the flesh of a newborn. And the point of the passage in Hebrews is that this was necessary. It had to be this way. It was necessary to make atonement. Um, he had to have flesh and blood so that he could bleed and die. And this is how God would renew and restore and reclaim the world. It had to be this way. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. And so as we enter into the Christmas season, um, it's, it's really a good time to remember that, that God became flesh. It, it wasn't just that he pretended to be flesh. He didn't just drop down out of the sky as a fully developed appearing human body. There's nothing wrong with flesh. When God made the world, including human flesh, he deemed it very good. Human flesh is good. And so when God decided it was time, the time was right to uh, enact the final stage of his rescue operation, infinity got squeezed into the flesh of a little baby, a little Jewish baby in Israel in the first century, that as you reflect on Christmas this year and you think about uh, the little Lord Jesus lying in the manger, uh, remember what you're seeing is all the fullness of deity in human form, in bodily form. God in a bod, as I've said before. This is God in the flesh. Everything that makes God God now now squeezed into the flesh of a first century Galilean Jew who grew up, who learned, who went to school, who had to learn uh, his uh, mathematical tables. He had to learn how to add and subtract. He would go to school and he would learn the Torah like all his other brethren. And as he sat through Torah classes as a little five and six-year-old boy, he, he didn't sit there thinking, oh yeah, I remember when I wrote this. No, he was learning it for the first time like everyone else. He was fully human, made like us in every way. So that, so that he could render powerless the devil, so that he could set us free from the fear of death and the slavery that it brought, so that he could make atonement for the sins of the people. 
This is God's plan for redeeming the world, and a good plan, a brilliant plan, a godlike plan it is. And so as we enter into the Christmas season, may you enter into this moment, this holy moment of God in the ordinary. That's how God comes to us. He comes to us in the ordinary, in the ordinary of a little human being running around the, the streets and roads of Nazareth as he grew up and learned to follow his Father in heaven so that he could lay down his life for us. Hey, I pray you have a wonderful Christmas season. May the majesty and the mystery and the amazingness of this season, of what God did in Jesus, may it wash over you afresh this holiday season. May you come to know him more and love him more because you've set your gaze upon him this season. Hope you have a great week this week. I look forward to talking to you again next week.